Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. It is great to see you. And thanks for being here on Palm Sunday. It's great to have you guys. Thank you so much for being here. So that means next Sunday is Easter. Yes, of course. It's going to be Easter next weekend. And so I just want to, I know Megan already mentioned this earlier. Uh, we've got a new service we're going to be adding next weekend, just for that weekend. Uh, 8 o'clock, 9.30, and 11 will be our three services next weekend. Also, I just want to encourage you to invite a friend, a family member, a coworker, somebody with you. And for some of you, you're like, oh, that'll be easy. I already know who I'm going to invite. For you, you need to invite three people, Okay. We all need to invite people. It's an amazing weekend. People are more open to come and, and, and try out church on Easter weekend than just about any other weekend. So I just encourage you this week, I'm going to be doing the same thing, inviting people. What's the worst can happen? People will go, no thanks, right? That didn't hurt that bad. So anyway, you can do it, I promise. And uh, you never know who might say yes and God does amazing things, and so uh, unbeknownst to uh, what, we, uh, what we do, it's really amazing to see how God uses these kinds of weekends for life change, so please invite somebody this weekend. Now this weekend, or for next weekend rather, this weekend we're going to continue a series that we've been in for a couple of weekends called Unsettled, where we have been asking the question, do you find yourself unsettled in your faith at times? Do you find maybe over the last couple of years you've gone through experiences and circumstances that cause you to go, oh my gosh, I'm kind of like questioning some things and rethinking some things, or maybe it came through a relationship with somebody that you loved, your child, your best friend, a a sibling, or somebody like that, that has made lifestyle choices or something like that has caused you to kind of rethink, maybe I should do what they're doing. And they're kind of like picking and choosing, and I'm going to hold on to these parts of my faith and kick out the stuff that I don't really agree with or like. And that's not really how Jesus' uh, uh, relationship with Jesus works. And, and you may have gone through and you are going through a struggle like that. And if you have, I just want to say you're in good company. Because the four conversations we have with, that Jesus has with individuals after the resurrection were all with people where he is clearing up misconceptions about faith. There are four people who later become some of the greatest followers of Jesus Christ of all time. They become close followers of him. And they all have had times where they questioned and doubted and went through uh, times like that where it was unsettled. And you may be feeling that way too. Now over these last couple of weeks, we talked about Mary Magdalene. Last week, we talked about Thomas and his doubts. And this morning, we're going to talk about Peter. And as he was originally known, Simon, that was his original name given by his mother and father. And we know that he was a, a fisherman with his father John and his brother Andrew on the Sea of Galilee, which was a major industry back then of fishing around the Sea of Galilee. It was uh, 
kind of proof that he was just an average guy, blue-collar kind of guy, nothing necessarily special in terms of how spiritual or holy he was at all. If anything, maybe it was the opposite. It was kind of like uh, God proving, I can use anybody. Look, I'm getting Peter, all right? And it's funny because one of the first things we see Jesus saying to Peter, found in John chapter, uh, pardon me, Mark chapter 1, verse 17, he, come, he actually walks up to Peter and his brother Andrew, and he says, hey guys, come and follow me. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. I'm going to use some of the skill that you've learned as fishermen, and I'm going to help you to turn into ministers. I'm going to, I'm going to use you to change the world. And then uh, the next conversation, or one of the next conversations that he has with Peter, we find in John chapter 1, verse 42, he comes up and he renames him. This is actually where the Peter comes from. He says, Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which is the Aramaic, or Peter, the Greek, both meaning the rock, all right? So long before Dwayne Johnson had that handle, <laughs> Peter was the OG rock, all right? Which is kind of ironic. When you begin to read the Gospels and see the kind of guy that Peter was, he was a real impulsive kind of guy. He was sort of the opposite of a rock. He uh, later became quite the leader among the 12 disciples. He was, if you didn't know this, one of the 12 disciples and was, became one of the most vocal of the 12 disciples. But it's just really interesting to see that Jesus picks this guy, Peter, and it really kind of makes a, a profound statement to us about the way that Jesus chooses his followers. Because not only then, but now, here's what we know to be true, that when Jesus chooses his followers, he isn't so much focused on who they are, but who they are to become. You see, Jesus, when he calls each one of us to himself, and maybe today this is going to happen for you, when he calls you, he's not so much f focused on what have you done and show me your resume and what have you accomplished and are you going to be good for my kingdom? Or It's not based on any of that. Jesus is able to see potential that no one else can see in your life, but that potential can never come to pass unless you become his follower. That as we follow, there's this potential, there's this blessing, there's this incredible untapped uh, ability and talent, uh, opportunity, etc., that is like a domino effect that happens as we follow him. And this was true with Peter. Now, Peter's one of these interesting guys that had multiple encounters with the resurrected Jesus. Uh, as last week, we kind of re referenced back to the, the story with Thomas. You remember when Thomas, he was away, and Jesus appeared to the disciples without Thomas, and Peter was there. And then about a week later, Jesus appears again to all the disciples, and Thomas is there that time, and that's kind of where we get our conversation last week with Thomas. Well, Peter is there in both of those scenarios. So today we're going to look at a scenario where this is at least the third time that the resurrected Jesus has appeared to Peter. May have been more, we're not sure, but at this particular moment, let me kind of give you a little background. So it's, G, it's, it's Peter plus six. There's seven of them total. They're in the boat. They've been out fishing, and they've literally been fishing all night. And of course, back then when they would fish, they would fish with the, with the net, you know, throwing the net all night long, pulling it in. They caught nothing. So they're tired, a little defeated, discouraged. And then they see this kind of pedestrian looking guy up on the uh, up up on the beach 
And it looks like he's trying to maybe get their attention. And we pick up our story here in John chapter 21, starting with verse 4. And this is a fascinating conversation that unfolds between Jesus and Peter. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, have you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your nets on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, this is the way that John referred to himself in the Gospel of John. Now, this may sound like, wow, liked yourself a lot, John. This wasn't so much John bragging. It was just how he felt when he was around Jesus. Like, this guy loves me so much. I've never felt this much love. So John is saying the disciple who loved, that Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord on the shore. That's him right there. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garments around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. What happens next? The other disciples follow in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Peter couldn't wait. There were seven of them in the boat, but only Peter jumps out like, I've got to get to Jesus no matter what, and i got to go right now. What caused Peter to have such urgency? Why did he jump out of the, the boat like this? I truly believe because this story, and some of you who have read through the Gospels, and even if you haven't, I'm going to tell you about it, this parallels beautifully one of the first encounters that Peter ever had with Jesus. In both scenarios, the disciples are in the boat, they've been fishing, they've been fishing all night, they have not caught anything, and in both scenarios, Jesus says, throw the net back in one more time. And in both scenarios, they had an enormous catch they're trying to pull in. It's, it's either sinking the boats in the first scenario, or they're, they're having to drag the nets to the shore. Way more, like a miracle amount of fish. They've never seen anything like it in their lifetime. But here's the difference. In the first scenario, when Peter first meets Jesus, he walks up to Jesus and he says, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Like, I don't even want you to look upon me. I, this display of power that you just like, did before us, it proves to me you're God. Like, I'm a fisherman. This doesn't happen. This, is, this was a miracle. There's no other way. There's no other explanation for it. It's a miracle. And so he's like, I need you to get away from me. And this time, though, in John chapter 21, he does the exact opposite. He jumps into the water with all of his clothes on, and he's trying to get to Jesus just as quick as he possibly can. Jesus, uh, uh, pardon me, Peter's two responses to Jesus here expose something really beautiful about Jesus, and that is this. If Jesus' claims are understood, they are never, they are never, they never evoke a moderate response. What, what are Jesus' claims? What am I talking about? If I could distill them down to three big claims. Here's the first one. He claimed to be the Lord God of the universe. Wow. 
Next, he says, I have come to give my life for all of you, for all of humanity. And number three is that I have given my life for you so that you can come and live for me. Now, this is a call for total allegiance to Jesus. And when we finally really understand who Jesus is and what he's claimed and what he has called us to, you're either going to spend the rest of your life like running away from him in fear and in anger. How dare you? I'm not going to do that or get away from me. I'm sinful. You're going to run away from him or you're going to do what Peter did the second time. You're going to run towards him in love and joy and you will fall down at his feet and say, I am totally yours completely yours. Any other response in the middle just proves that you don't really know who he is. You don't really realize what he's claimed and who he is. He has asked us to come before him. And what's interesting is that both of these responses we see in Peter. (laughs) He's done both. And his recommendation to all of us today would be, do what I did Second, come to him. Come to him. Maybe you have had part of your story. You've done both in your life. You've run from him and you've run to him. But unless we really understand who he is, we won't ever really trust him. So the disciples make their way onto the shore. Jesus has made breakfast fish and bread, maybe like fish tacos, I don't know, but they all had breakfast together, you know, by Jesus. That that had to be a pretty cool moment. And then Jesus comes over, puts his arm around Peter and says, hey, let's take a walk on the beach together. You and I need to talk because Jesus and Peter had some unfinished business. Jesus and Peter had unfinished business because as some of you may remember, Peter had just, just days before this, few weeks, had publicly denied Jesus on the night of his trial when he was taken to the high priest. But what was interesting is that Peter, even though that had happened, the moment he sees him on the beach, he wants to run straight for him because Peter understood enough of Jesus' gospel of grace that he knew he can and will forgive me. And most certainly Jesus did forgive Peter of denying him but there was more that needed to be done. Jesus needed to address some things in Peter's heart that still needed to be healed, that still needed to be corrected because Jesus had big plans for Peter. As some of you may know, Peter later becomes the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. He is a huge leader in this first century movement of Christianity. And uh, Jesus saw what he was to become, and so he wanted to address some things in his life. So he begins a conversation with him as they walk down the beach, and here's what Jesus says. He says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, to kind of understand what Jesus is doing here, this this seems like he's really getting at Peter. But to try to understand, we have to go back and remember the magnitude of Peter's failure. 
even before he denied him, just hours before Jesus' arrest, we see this in John 13 and in Matthew 26, that Peter loudly um, kind of um, proclaims before all of the disciples and to Jesus, he says, even if all of these other guys deny you, Jesus, I never will. I'm your boy, Jesus. It doesn't matter if it means imprisonment or death. I will never turn my back on you. Remember? The rock right here. I got you. I got your back, Jesus. And uh, Jesus definitely had a question about that. Because just a couple of hours later, when Jesus was arrested, all the disciples scatter in fear. They flee because they're thinking, we're going to get arrested as well. And Peter kind of follows at a distance, but he is given three opportunities publicly. He's asked three times if he identifies with Jesus. Are you, you're one of his disciples, aren't you? No, not me. Time after time after time. If it had just been one time, I think we could chalk it up to a moment of weakness, right? Like we all have those. But three times in a row, it's, it's inexcusable. And why did Peter do it? He did it to save himself. He was scared, I'm going to get arrested too. And the third time he was asked, he was so panicked that something was going to happen to Peter, he literally, in a moment of weakness, he calls down curses on Jesus. He cussed him out. He cursed him. He's like, I'm going to prove to these people I am not a disciple of Jesus. I'm going to let stuff come out of my mouth that no disciple would ever say in a million years. And in that culture of honor and shame, no pupil, no disciple would ever say this about their rabbi, about their teacher, or or, let alone their, their Lord. But this is what he said. And he calls down this curse And we're told in Luke chapter 22 that at that moment, just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Somehow, there was a line of sight that opened up at that moment between Jesus and Peter. However, wherever they were standing. And we're told that Peter remembered the prediction of Jesus. I know you think that you would never turn your back on me, but before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And we're told that Peter goes out. He went outside and wept bitterly. Now think about this for a moment. If this happened to you, put yourself in Peter's sandals for just a moment. Let's say there was somebody who you literally owed your life to. They had done so much, sacrificed so much for you to have the life that you have, to keep you, you know, opportunities and, and make your life possible. And in their most desperate hour, You literally turn your back on them, deny that you know them to save your own skin. Forget them forgiving you. How do you forgive yourself? How does a person live with themselves after something like that? How does Peter come back from that? How do we come back from moments of failure like that? Can we? Maybe that's the big question. Is there a way to come back? And the answer is, from Jesus is a resounding yes, and he shows us how. Jesus begins with Peter by retracing, and I mean, this had to be painful, retracing his steps 
Peter's steps. First thing that you see that Jesus does when, when he comes up on the beach, he brings him to a fire. He was around a fire that Peter had denied Jesus. And then when they began to walk down the beach, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And how many times did he ask him? Three times. The same number of times that he denied him. And it's important to point out here that Jesus was not trying to humiliate Peter. He was trying to teach him something about his heart and about all of our hearts, I would say. And you can see it even in the very first question that he asks in verse 15, where he says, do you, and what is implied here, do you still say you love me more than these, Peter? You still think you're better than everybody else, Peter? You see, what Jesus was trying to do here is trying to illuminate Peter's heart to the big flaw in his heart that caused all of his failure. Jesus wasn't trying to twist the knife by saying it over and over and over. He was trying to use the knife of truth like a scalpel in the hand of a surgeon on his heart to say, let me show you something right here, Peter, about your heart. You're starting with a false assumption. You're starting with an assumption about your identity, and that assumption is you're superior to all the other disciples. You're better than everybody else. That's why you come to me saying, I'm more faithful. I'm more passionate than any other follower. Nobody's going to follow you like me, Jesus. And Jesus is trying to help him to see you're basing your faith and your identity on the wrong thing. You see, Peter wasn't basing his identity on Christ or Jesus' great love for him, but on his love for Jesus. Look how much I love you, Jesus. And this meant that, that while Jesus was still his teacher, Peter's like, I'll be my own savior. He never said it like that, but it was coming out of his heart like that. It's the same way it does for us. We don't even realize it. And this happens to us too. And Jesus is trying to show Peter, your, your pride is choking your ability to experience God's full love for you because you think you still have to be a good enough woman so that God will love you. A good enough man so God will love you. And it'll even come out in your prayers. God, I'm asking for this and I want it so bad, but look at all what I've done for you. Look what I've done. Look what I've done. We're going back to an old identity, trying to earn it, trying to be our own savior. That's a broken system. It doesn't work. It doesn't produce peace and joy or love. And it's not what following Jesus looks like. And we see next, Peter was hurt because of what Jesus asked him when he asked him this third time, right? Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. And here's the last thing recorded that Jesus ever said directly to Peter. Then he said to him, follow me. The first thing he ever said and the last thing he ever said to Peter, I believe would be the thing that Jesus would say to all of us. You want to be free? Come and follow me. Come get to know who I really am. Not the personification that the culture has handed you, but who I really am. Don't be afraid to embrace what I say is truth, even if it contradicts everything you see in culture. Because I have come to set you free. 
You don't even realize that you're in a prison cell that you've made for yourself. You keep trying to justify yourself. And we forget the Apostle Paul said in Romans 8, 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're free. You keep acting like you're a slave to sin and to this world, but you're free. It's beautiful. And really what we learn from Jesus and Peter here is that any identity that is based on our performance will produce at least two negative results, and I want to share those with you right now. Here's the first one. It hurts others. When, when Peter starts bragging about how, how awesome he is to Jesus, do you think that really helped him, his relationship with his brother and disciples? They'd be like, Peter really thinks he's better than us, right? That, that, is gotten, that will push people away faster than anything. And we don't realize it, but we have a culture of comparison. We are trained to compare with one another constantly comparing, comparing with what other people have and what they do and how they're raising their kids and what they, they're even their spirituality and everybody's posting these things, right? Social media, there's some beautiful things that come through social media. It also is a comparison machine, right? It is a place where you get the highlight reels of everybody's life and you can come away going, wow, my life stinks compared to these people. <laughs> this looks like fun. They're on vacation all the time, evidently. I don't know what's happening, but I wish I had a little, like a ticket to go to their life. Their life isn't like that either. But we see this constant comparison. And what happens when we're living off of our own performance in comparison with other people? It drives us to one of two conclusions, either pride like, I'm, oh, man, based on the standard that I'm comparing you with, I'm better than you. So I feel prideful, or you're better than me. I'm jealous. And you know pride and jealousy? You can't love anybody from that place. That, that, that command to love your neighbor as yourself becomes impossible. It becomes very stressful, and there's just nothing but anxiety and even depression that sets in when we're constantly comparing ourselves with other people. I want to challenge you to look at the areas of your life where you're constantly trying to compare because that means you're trying to be enough, you're trying to perform so that you can validate yourself, you could be justified through your own good works. Find out where those are. Maybe they're social media. I mean, this has been one of those ongoing uh, conversations between us and our, our girls <laughs> through the years. Now, two of them are out of the house, but we, we, we cut it down like fast off social media. If you tell me, oh, that's not a problem for me, okay, then don't get on it for 48 hours. Don't get on it for a week. Prove it. You don't have a problem with that, right? You have withdrawals. I gotta, you know, right? Like, we need to back away from that. It's not doing good things for our heart. And it causes us, to, it makes it harder and harder for us to love people, the thing that following Jesus means. And here's the second thing it does. It drives us away from God. Because when we're constantly trying to be enough for God, it means we're trying to be our own Savior. When we're trying to take Jesus' place, when we're trying to constantly be enough, we will never encounter his love, his joy, his peace in our life, but we will feel a lot of anxiety and a lot of depression and a lot of frustration and a lot of... It's, it's learning how to 
Rest in the Lord. There's this beautiful insight that David shares with us in the Old Testament. In Psalm 23, I know you're familiar with Psalm 23. In the NIV, verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Well, that guy was either crazy or he knew something we don't know, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He clearly wasn't an American, right? That doesn't sound very American. Like... (laughs) He is trying to help us to see there is a beautiful breakthrough spiritually when you learn how to really let Jesus be the sufficiency of your life. He is really all you need. He's got you. And you don't have to earn his love or his approval or anyone else's. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's beautiful. Now, one of the things that's so cool is seeing... Peter's response to Jesus' challenge to him. He doesn't use excuses. He doesn't get defensive. He doesn't blame shift. He doesn't say, you know, Jesus, yeah, I failed. I blew it. But Jesus, you, you know the home I grew up in? If you weren't winning, you weren't worthy of love, right? And um, I'm plus, Jesus, look at all the stuff I've done for you. I've been serving you for years now, and I have given, given, given. How about some love back to me? But you see, when we take that approach with Jesus or with, you know, God, the Holy Spirit, we, we are coming at God with the old identity. We're trying once again to be our own Savior. We're trying to save ourselves, and it shortcuts God's goodness in our life. It keeps us from knowing who we really are in Him. And He's calling us right now to trust him, to trust him, and to be willing to say, yes, I'm setting all that aside. And here's what Peter did. Confess, yes, I failed, Lord. I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to run from it. I'm not going to give excuses. I failed. Please forgive me. He received Jesus' forgiveness, and he learned to walk in the daily grace and love of God, and he followed Jesus. This is how he followed Jesus. Some of us who are believers, we we understand grace in terms of salvation at the point of becoming a Christian, but we forget that we need his grace every day, all day, to make it that his grace extends to everything we do. We are dependent upon him for everything. It's so important that we remember this. And one of the important things that we learn from Jesus and Peter is that our identity must be based on God's unchanging love for us, not our achievement for him. It's based on his unchanging, great, magnificent love for us. It's nothing that we do. So here's the question I want to ask you. Just like Peter and Jesus, do you have unfinished business with Jesus today? Are you still trying to make up for some failure in your past where you've blown it? And you're like, I'm still trying to be good enough. I'm still trying to prove to God that I'm worth it. Are you still trying to, you find yourself at times competing, comparing? It's a trap. It's it's the quickest way to choke out God's love choke out the peace and the joy that he intended for you to live in, the kind of confidence, contentment that comes to our heart from knowing God's got me. 
I'm his child, and whatever comes today, he's walking with me through it. He has not left me alone. Even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. I love it. And here's the next question I want to ask you. Are you willing to admit you failed? Where have you failed? Where have you, like, pushed back on God? Or maybe it's just a particular area that I've just, you, you just say, I've just been really reluctant to truly trust God with this area, with this relationship. I don't want God messing with this relationship. It's going pretty good right now. I, I don't want God messing with um, my finances or my future or, but I'm telling you, he's saying, when you invite me in, that's when you and I get to do it together and I will bless it. And I know you feel like you can't trust me, but that's because you're still feeling like you need to prove your sufficiency. And that's a dead end street. In Romans 3.20, Paul writes that there is no righteousness by trying to keep the law. No one will be declared righteous. That you can't keep the rules and be good enough. Nobody can. That's why we need Jesus. It is his righteousness, his sufficiency that must become our own. And when we ask Christ into our life to forgive sin and be the Lord of our life, when God looks at us, it's as if he sees Jesus. His righteousness covers your unrighteousness, as Paul writes. It's what frees us from the prison cell of sin. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.